This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. I think it's the afternoon. It is the afternoon. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, can you dig it? I can. My name is Sam LaCrosse. This is the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. How is everybody doing today? I know you can't answer me, but I am just uh, going off the cuff here. I um, This post was very procrastinated, but I actually am pretty happy with how it turned out. I only started doing it yesterday because I, you know, I've been fucking running in circles ever since I've had um, I've made the move down to Austin. I've been decorating my apartment like crazy. I had to do a bunch of shit where I had to put together a bunch of shit in my apartment. And, um, you know, just kind of getting everything taken care of in terms of getting myself oriented down here. And I'm making my apartment into more like my home instead of just a place that I reside in, which is kind of cool because I've never gotten really a chance to do that before with my own place that I pay for with my own money and everything in that regard. So that's been kind of cool. And I've been thinking kind of just about me moving down here and kind of the evolution of myself and the evolution of people and just a bunch of weird fucking abstract thoughts. And, you know, I, I've been writing a lot about, you know, how things are depressing and I've reading a lot of books about political culture and why things are happening in terms of our dialect with one another and why things seem so bad and everything like that. And I'm kind of combining it into one thing and providing as many perspectives as possible from the ancients to people overseas to people here on both sides of the political aisle, everything that's been going on. But one thing that I think we all should be hopeful for, and one thing that gives me tremendous hope, is innovation. It always has been said that, you know, innovation, invention, I'm a business, business big business guy right here, obviously. I'm not a scientist, and I'm not a, any person that really invents things. I create things, but I don't think that's really the same as inventing something. And I think, like, the people that really, really are badass to me are two groups of people, really. It's one, it's the people that are in innovative areas, the people that want to drive the world forward. Those people are fascinating people. And they can be creative people and they can be kind of people that go against the culture and do things like the intellectual dark web does or that Elon Musk does or that Kanye West does. And so that's like the kind of the first group of people, the people that really are going against the culture, going against the grain, the rebels against the system. And the other one is the people that are kind of doing the same thing, but in a different way where they're kind of just so far invoking progress that they kind of have to force the world to adapt to them. Steve Jobs is like this. He was a fascinating person to read about. Um, a couple other people, I'm sure I'll remember a couple down the line, a couple that I'll name it here, actually, are definitely people that have done this. 
And I thought it would bring me a lot of joy. This actually was something I've wanted to do for a long time, by the way. I've wanted to write this post for a very, very long while. And I'm glad that I did because I think that now, especially, we are, you know, in need of a lot of things to give us hope. And I think the last year, really, you know, the one of the most underrated things, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes, is the amount of scientific innovation that has been achieved in the last year, which has been absolutely tremendous. And you guys should read about it because it's very, very... Um, it's very hopeful. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that I wanted to get out of this post is I've kind of, I don't want to be like the depressing, you know, Andrew Yang style, like polite, you know, goober angel of death type of guy. You know, I want to be the kind of person that can give both sides of the equation. So with this one, I wanted to really kind of look back on the world progress, everything that's been going on, everything that could be going on in the near future and everything that's kind of happening in between. So this is something I've wanted to do for a long time and I hope you like it. So, here we go. A lot can be said about how humankind and the people that comprise it blow dick, and a lot of it would be warranted. But I think there's a fundamental problem with this. Do humans really blow dick? In some cases, certainly. However, a crucial question needs to be asked. Why do humans blow dick? Are we striking at the core of the initiatives of what comprises our species, or are we simply skimming off the top? In other words, are we really questioning the core problems that really make up the problems of the world, or are we simply succumbing to our own narcissism that inevitably spins outwards from our corresponding value hierarchies? Not tuning my own horn here, hint, I am, but I tend to lean towards the second one being more accurate. While nothing about human beings is currently or ever will be perfect, the fact remains that we as humans are doing quite well from objective metrics from a lot of standards. Led by modern intellectuals, most notably Steven Pinker, things are good. Wealth is enormous. People are being lifted out of poverty by astronomical numbers. Diseases, including COVID-19, are being beaten to their knees by people in our scientific community. The quality of food and drink is something our, ancestor our ancestors would be, quite literally, salivating over. We're living longer than we did previously. Wars have decreased. In the developed world, we're spoiled beyond belief. This is not ignorant, being ignorant to the fact that there are problems in modern society that still do exist. In fact, I'm here to state quite the contrary. The problems we face now are more complex and murky than our ancestors faced in the past. They're incredibly difficult to decipher. It's easily to see that people, or it's easy to see that people don't have enough food, and that we should be trying to prevent them from dying a horrific death from emaciation. It's much more difficult to confront your chi a child, more specifically your child, when they come to you with confusion about their gender. That is certainly not a black and white question. We should not use absolutes. Only Sith use those, and we should see very clearly from that film what happens to the scenario, children in that scenario. Over a little, year, a, a little over a year ago, I published a post that I cite incredibly frequently, An Economy of Interest Rates, The Importance of Creators. I initially gained inspiration from the article after seeing Mark Andreessen's of the venture capitalist firm Andreessen Horowitz article on inspiring innovation within America. Remember, around that time, America's economy was in the toilet with the rest of the world. Trillions of dollars have been shed in a matter of days. Over 40% of our nation was without a job. It's incredibly hard to look back at the time and think it was actually real. Andreessen, while being a venture capitalist vulture like many of his compatriots, nevertheless raised an important point. We need to build more. We need to create more. The big lie of American innovation that has been propagated throughout our culture is that we're rapidly expanding and innovating and growing in tremendous strides. That, in aggregate, is completely and utterly false. In fact, it's almost insulting. There are some sectors, most notably, and hopefully, in all sorts of sciences that have seen tremendous strides being made, particularly in the last year, like I mentioned earlier. But other than that, we need to see if this claim is really true before we completely buy into it from our uppers in society.
And Eric Weinstein has been the biggest proponent of this counter-argument to mainstream thought. He's lambasted this notion endlessly, and has lampooned the people that propagated it as heretics and liars. And he has a point. Several, in fact. In my post that I previously cited, I talked about this post before I even knew that Weinstein existed. Where were the flying cars? The lightsabers? The cure for cancer? The colonies on the moon? The floating houses? The new sectors of business that would open the floodgates for endless opportunity? This may sound like something out of a science fiction movie. You're dreaming, Sam, people will say. And that point is valid as well. But let's wind the clocks back 100 years, a full century. If someone 100 years ago had predicted that we would have access to the entire library of information ever across the globe, the internet, could harness the power of a fucking sun for both creative and destructive purposes, nuclear fission and fusion, and create a new monetary system with only a computer and an internet browser, cryptocurrency, that people would be have presented to the local that person would have been presented to the local authorities and lobotomized. So I might be dreaming, but you also might be underrating those strides that I mentioned earlier. It's true. It's truly remarkable. So humans do suck, but we're also pretty fucking awesome. Well, this blog is about deciphering a lot of the modern problems we face, particularly in regards to young people. It's also about appreciating the fact that we are even in a privileged position to discuss those problems. I've elated that I don't have to talk about what we are currently throwing sharp. I, I've, I'm elated that I don't have to talk about how we're not currently throwing sharp and pointy sticks on our neighbors and swarms of locusts coming to our door in the form of a plague. Well, at least not anymore. Thankful for the you know the people on the front lines, the vaccine people, and all those guys. Hopefully, they'll defund all that gain-of-function research nonsense instead of our police departments. Maybe we'll get somewhere. So, in order to fully appreciate the luxury of our times. I think it's necessary to see how the hell we got here in the first place. And if there's one consistent among human progress, as I mentioned, it's that human ingenuity and innovation are the things that drive us forward. Technology doesn't have to be an algorithm or an application. In fact, it can be something much more simple. In fact, this post is incredibly hard to think about and put together simply because it wasn't composed of a lot of modern technology. It was a lot of very basic, rudimentary shit. But all that basic, rudimentary shit is what we derive all of our non-basic, non-rudimentary shit from, in most cases. It's really important, and we should pay attention to it. So join me in celebrating the better angels of our nature. So, I do top ten, I do short lists, this is a list of ten things. I'm going to do one honorable mention, I think it's worth noting, even though I absolutely hate most of the people that comprise this community. Blockchain. So, I know, coming from a guy who shits all over blockchain and the people who gassed it up a couple posts ago, I get it, roast me later. But, remember what I said in that post, and what I'll say again now. While I'm not a fan of the Bitcoiners and their constant and seemingly endless headassery, I don't necessarily feel that way towards the thing that they're all headasses about. In fact, I think that the exact opposite works. Blockchain works. It works very well, actually. Better than most modern technologies that I've ever seen. The reason why everyone is talking about it isn't because of cryptocurrency or Dogecoin or Elon Musk. The reason is that it has the potential to completely upend modern civilization. Being first conceptualized by cryptographer David Chaum in 1982, the first blockchain was created by a pseudonym going by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008. That blockchain was called Bitcoin and was meant as a new currency that was not controlled by interest rate or federal policy, but by math. It was also completely secure. So think of it this way, in a quite literal fashion. A blockchain is literally a chain of blocks. So if someone wants to hack it, instead of a single safe someone would have to try to crack, a person would have to crack one safe after the other until they would get to the end to retrieve all the data inside of a blockchain. 
And as someone who works in an IT people, with IT people quite often in my day job, all I have to say is good luck to that person. So all that, quote, human suck nonsense I mentioned earlier, that was gone. Replacing it was a completely unbiased, completely rational formula that governed an entire system of transactions. Kind of like an AI, only without the potential to turn into a nuclear holocaust, at least as far as we know. For most, this is not a big deal. There are far more people invested in Microsoft than there are in cryptocurrency. But cryptocurrency is just the tip of the iceberg. Some consumers are getting to catch on to the technology and are using it to take ownership of their creative power. If you've ever heard of an NFT before, this is what that is. An NFT, or non-fungible token, is simply a small bit of data that you, that you create that is protected by your own personal blockchain, i.e. no one can hack into it. You own that piece of data completely and com completely. It's cut off from anyone else. The math runs it, so much so that no one can hack into it. This is, again, not necessarily a huge space by market cap. The biggest piece of art was sold for $65 million by a digital artist named Beeple, and that was thousands of pieces of art wrapped into one collection. The Mona Lisa is still priceless, as far as I'm aware. To anyone on the periphery, this might not seem that, like that big of a consequence for the way the world runs itself. But that whole modern, their up-end modern civilization thing, that wasn't hyperbole. And let's talk about why. The most valuable commodity in the entire world right now is data, most notably consumer data. It's how companies, whether they are technology-based or not, get all the insights on how to run their business. From what kind of coffee to sell to how to formulate ads to a random porn shuffle that comes up as soon as you crack open your favorite site, no industry is left untouched from consumer data. So here's a question. What happens when all that data goes away? Hint. Those businesses go into a panic. Their models suddenly grind to a halt. Their massive dollars that they were raking in soon begin to fall away, some in incredibly rampant fashion. And that's exactly what the potential, the potential of what could happen. If blockchain technology is adopted at massive scale, that would mean the consumers would have complete ownership of their data and what they use it for. That means that companies, particularly those such as Oracle and Salesforce, who run their entire businesses on data, become thrown to the mercy of a kind of technology that I really don't think they're prepared to handle. Jesus, sounded like Porky Pig there. Whatever. <laughs> music. That's gone too. When Steve Jobs completely dicked the music industry and subsequently made Apple rich, the artist didn't like that very much. But now, people like Kings of Leon and Tory Lanez are beginning to try out a method without having to go through a streaming service directly. And it's working. And who says the same can't be done with anything else that can be streamed? It most certainly can. That means companies like Apple, Disney, and Netflix are in huge trouble as well. If you're wondering why people like Warren Buffett and big financial institutions such as J.P. Morgan are so negative towards blockchain and cryptocurrency, this is why. It's because these people and institutions have so much skin in the game in the economy of now that they don't want the blockchain to crash their party. But it's coming. It might not be now, and it probably won't be swift, but I wouldn't want to be in the position where my entire life cra comes crashing down on me either. Let's hope for all of our sakes that the crash isn't as violent as it could be. Number 10, electricity. Like I said, basic, right? But think of it this way. How is electricity not one of the greatest innovations ever if we use it for almost everything? From the lights we switch on to the food we cook, no part of our lives are unscathed. And as we've seen from Snowvid hitting Texas and Katrina hitting New Orleans, bad things happen when power grids fail. We need them to survive and we need to keep them updated for the future. Starting bizarrely enough from observations of, quote, electric fish by ancient, ancient Egyptians as far back as 2750 BC, the phenomenon of electric current has long perplexed humans. 
What was this thing that seemed to rain down from the sky? That thing that could shatter buildings and fry people alive and sort of power only thought that only God could have thought to have possessed. Could we possess it? As science evolved, that question of the awesome potential of that thing that rained down from the sky began to become ever more enticing. The most common example to cite of the first person who discovered electric current would be Benjamin Franklin. It was more than a key on the kite, folks. Benjamin Franklin, if you didn't already know, was one of the more strange motherfuckers you'll ever read about. He was so fascinated by electricity that he sold all of his possessions in order to fund his research. Then, key and a kite happened, and therefore the discovery of electric current was born. Soon after, Italian science Luigi Galvani published a, a paper in which he discovered bioelectromagnetics, which stated that electricity was the way we pass signals to muscles through our neurons. And the awesomeness of this cannot be overstated. Electricity was not only this awesome power, but that same awesome power was used by our very own mortal brains to power our individual machines. Now that is really fucking cool. After that, the industry absolutely exploded. Soon after, the first electric motor was created by Englishman Michael Faraday, which proved that electricity could be harnessed as a form of power. Pandora's box continued to open, and names such as Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, and Nikola Tesla began to appear in the mainstream. Massive innovations such as the light bulb, telephone, telegraph, and power lines spawned from their creation and soon became so scaled that us mere mortals could use them. Science continued to build on it as we be began to understand the capacity of this breakthrough to look into the human brain. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and we based our entire society off of the weird, closeted gay guy who sold his entire life to fund a key on the kite. That's fucking nuts. The funny thing is, we're soon to face a dichotomy. Around half the world's population, most of which being in Asia and Africa, more specifically in India, are rapidly industrializing, thus needing a shit ton of electricity in order to get on the global scale to compete economically. However, there's that whole climate change thing so many people are worried about. The bad thing is that when we create electricity, most ways which you do it involve chucking some substance into a fire and then using that combination to create power. Time will tell how our ruling class chooses to handle this. We allow countries to industrialize and chuck more greenhouse gas into the atmosphere while we play the part of the good soldier and clamp down on our own lifestyles? Will we spoil the party and force these developed nations to intensely slow their pace of progress to, quote, save the world? Will we play the rich people pay more of a price, poor people pay less card? Like I said, time will tell. We'll probably fuck it up, remember, humans suck, but it sure as hell will be interesting to watch. Number nine, the movable type printing press. In the year 1450, a poem was printed in German. You heard me right, printed. Before that fateful day, all written communication was to be forged and distributed by hand. The world, much more religious at that point, clung to the Bible like mad. The only way that those people were able to read those Bibles was because the local Christian monks slaved for hours upon hours, constantly copying the Bible by hand. I can't Im imagine a more agonizing process. While it was probably a great way to learn, it was probably nothing short of a horrendous existence. Which made the creation of that poem so important. For about a decade earlier, a goldsmith named Johann Gutenberg was tinkering with an innovation that would revolutionize the way that human beings interacted with one another. While standard printing press had been developed by the carving symbols into a block of wood by East, East Asian, Chinese, and Korean inventors centuries before, Gutenberg would turn that innovation on its head by creating something called movable type. So imagine this. You're one of those Chinese woodcarvers. You spend a lot of time putting work into those symbols, and you're proud of it when you finish. 
You take that day, you, your task that day was to create a tally of that day's events and put them on a repeatable plank of wood for distribution amongst the public. In other words, a newspaper. The only problem, the news changes every day. So then you have to go back in the forest, chop down another tree, carve out another plank of wood, carve into another plank of wood, and do it all over again. And it's only one page. Most newspapers I know are more, much more than that. Beijing, we have a problem. Gutenberg, however, solved that problem with a solution called movable type. In Gutenberg's printing press, the users would have the luxury of placing letters, numbers, and symbols in whichever order they wish to or wish to order achieve to a, a, in order to achieve a desired variable outcome. Translation: You could print what you wanted without having to drop, chop down a new fucking tree every time. Again, incredibly cool. After the poem, Gutenberg began to publish a limited list of Bibles, therefore putting some of the monks out of their misery. The notion soon began to catch on, and why wouldn't it? Imagine how much time this would save people. And it did save people time. A lot of time. Soon, Gutenberg's invention became the apple of the developed world's eye, sweeping across continents to transform literary content as we knew it so that we wouldn't have to get monks' tar carpal tunnel syndrome. It's remarkable to see how this has progressed. When newspapers were still a mainstream thing, that assembly line of manufacturing that went into them were absolutely tremendous. The speed at which these customized bundles of communication and information were thrown together and distributed en masse, sometimes for perhaps hundreds of millions of people a day in cases such as the New York Times, would have been enough to make Johann Gutenberg orgasm. This has transcended into, transcended into the internet, which has then digitized this process into mediums like our keyboard, Snapchat, and facial recognition software. And it all started with the movable type printing press. Christian or not, you have to hand it to them. They're at least good for something. Number eight, theoretical physics. This one might seem especially bizarre. So let's bring our friend Eric Weinstein back into the fold. Eric Weinstein, a, mathem a mathematician and physicist by trade, was recently interviewed on a podcast where he talked at length about theoretical physics. If you weren't an avid listener of his before this, you might already know this, but Weinstein remains one of the, to this day, the most avid and passionate physics nerd that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's truly quite amazing. And like most things that come out of his mouth, he's also right. In this specific interview, he compared theoretical physics to SEAL Team 6. That's the team that killed Bin Laden, if you didn't know. That's a pretty grandiose comparison. But it's much warranted, as he explains. In a span of just under two minutes, he names just some of the innovations that have come from its discovery. Every semiconductor, the things that expedite this thing called electricity that we, so, that we just named to power our devices such as computers and phones, came from theoretical physics. The mass connectivity we got from the World Wide Web and every URL that comprises it was extrapolated from theoretical physics. So was every email that was ever sent in the history of email. The aforementioned telephone that was invented or stolen, whichever story you read on the internet, by Alexander Graham Bell was derived from theoretical physics. The hydrogen bombs that we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end World War II were created by physicists in the Manhattan Project. This is remarkably stunning. So much so that it really doesn't even seem true or even possible. But it is. Theoretical physics was first studied over 2,300 years ago by the schools of Socrates in ancient Greece, and was continued by Aristotle and Plato as they taught their students. But this might also seem a little bizarre. How come they were able to do physics before they could even move letters? Ugh, geez, yawning. Num numbers and symbols around on a printing press. I'm not bored, I promise. It's a legitimate question, and one that deserves answering by the definition itself. In just about the broadest definition possible, 
Theoretical physics is the branch of physics that uses mathematical models and abstractions of objects in our world in an attempt to explain that world. For example, when the Wright brothers wanted to create a plane, they studied birds and how they flew in the sky to create their own plane. AKA, they used something from our world in order to bring it down to Earth so, that, so we can use it for further benefit. The way they did that was through math, physics, and science. So, I define theoretical physics as opening up a portal into possibility. It's seeing things that are occurring in the world, wondering how they happen, and making and attempting to make those things happen. That's why the fields that Eric Weinstein started earlier are so diverse and so cataclysmic in the world today. The potential they unleash upon everything we've ever known is nothing short of astronomical. It's the reason that we're all living so well right now, to a large degree. It's the gateway into the future, or the gateway to a better world, and a better life. I won't bore you by attempting to explain something that I have no hope of explaining, but I will say this. Innovation, at its core, is bringing the world of impossibility into possibility. If I can be so bold, theoretical physics is perhaps the best hope we have at jump-starting our new innovations that will get us out of creating more computers and internet applications. But one can only hope. And if you take Weinstein for his world, it'll be word, it'll be an uphill battle, to say the least. Number seven, vaccines. This one's going to get some pushback, so shut the fuck up, Jessica Biel. I don't want to hear your shit anymore. It's going to be hard to top the previous three, but I think we've had a pretty strong value proposition for this one. That value proposition is this. In order to have all three of those things happen, those people have, first have to be alive. Fair. And the biggest thing that has kept humans from being alive throughout history is disease. Not war, not climate change, not Lorena Bobbitt, but disease. In Bill Gates' remarkably and horrifyingly predictable TED Talk, he boldly claimed that microbes, not missiles, will be the greatest threat to human life in the years to come. This is for a couple of reasons. First, and most under-discussed in my estimation, is that our weapon systems have become far too advanced for anyone to attempt to do anything serious. I think the first time someone does that is going to be the last time someone does that, strictly because whoever gets attacked first is going to pound them into dust with a well-bended cocktail of artificial intelligence and nuclear weapons. Additionally, we've had more pandemics start in the last few years than new wars. The math is on our side, but obviously not in a favorable way towards anyone else. From the Black Death to the Spanish flu to the coronavirus in terms of spreading human-to-human -human viral load to things like the potato famine in Ireland that wiped out crops that caused an unholy amount of people to starve to death, Disease has a way of shitting in everyone's cornflakes constantly. The one thing that has prevented that to a tremendous degree effect is the technology of vaccines and pesticides in case of plants. Polio has been wiped off the face of the earth because of vaccines. So in large part, unless you're discobile, have measles, mumps, and smallpox. I still haven't gotten chickenpox, and I'm, so I'm assuming that I'm either the luckiest person on earth or that maybe other people my age haven't gotten it because of vaccines. The first vaccine was created by English chemist Edward Jenner. He used it to compact sm combat smallpox. Nearly a century later, French chemist Louis Pasteur took it to another level by incorporating disease causation and public health into the mix, therefore revolutionizing modern life forever. And we should all be grateful for it. Not only is there less disease in the world today, we're also much more resistant to diseases because of the effects of those miraculous innovations. There's no understating the fact that we would be much le less better off if we had no exposure to other diseases before COVID-19 was unleashed from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. A lot more people would have died, and a lot more people would be suffering if our bodies weren't so resistant to disease, the disease and other diseases like it. A lot has been said of the anti-vax movement, but most of it, in my non-scientific opinion, is complete, complete nonsense. It's okay to be skeptical when something is unproven. 
I don't fault a lot of people for being skeptical of the COVID vaccine when it's taken this short of a time to get it developed. But when it's something like smallpox or measles or mumps, the vaccine has quite literally saved millions of lives from it. That's where I draw the line. That's not being skeptical and safe. It's something being ignorant to the mountains of data that are proving you wrong. I could pull the card out of the woke mob's pocket by saying that Jessica Biel is an ableist for preventing her kids from getting the obviously unbearable reality or that her kids could get autism. But I won't. Having a child with autism isn't the worst thing in the world. I know, my sister has it. It's not an ideal situation, and it can be quite, and a, quite a horrific affliction, but it's not worth a certain d death of a disease that we know can actually kill you. But hey, maybe I'm an ableist, I don't know. Number six, science. I know, I'm, I'm the worst. Trust me, it's not going to get much better from here out. Put simply, science is testing things that we have put forth into the universe to see if they are true or not. It's how we largely advance, develop, and grow our own world. If we were still operating the capacity to do so thousands of years ago, those things I mentioned earlier would not have existed. In fact, we may be all dead by now. Thank God for science. There's an old meme that circles the internet on an occasion about, quote, doing science. Basically, it's two people usually in some sort of argument coming to some sort of conclusion and therefore having, quote, done science. The joke ends. It's a horrible meme, mostly because it's so true. Science, in large part of our lives, is heinously boring, tedious, and unrewarding. There are only a few theoretical physics practices and vaccines that get put into actual practice. Most get thrown into a wood chipper as the best shitty ideas or the worst ideas that can send our whole world into a tailspin. That's not a very good value proposition as to why someone would want to go into that field. But we need people to go into that field, and those people need to be championed and celebrated. Because for the rest of us to use our smartphone and trade investments online, there had to be people that work behind the scenes that push back against them in order to see if something is better around the corner. In a category as broadly, broad and wholly undefinable as science, the furthest that I can go back is probably to 3000 BC, where the ancient Mesopotamians did something like science that was then thrown into action by the Greeks and Romans and carried on throughout time. No one really invented it. Again, it's just something that people, quote, do. It really began to pick up with the scientific revolution of the 1600s, which birthed the likes of Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon, and Galileo Galilei. The people that embarked on this opened up a new universe for others to jump through and, much like our theoretical physics community, pulled the impossible into the realm of the possible. While much has been said about the fields of STEM and the lack of young people going into them, the recent developments on this, particularly in the last year, have been incredibly promising. We achieved protein folding. I have no idea what this does, but apparently it's one of the great feats of modern civilization in the last century. That's pretty cool. In some places, climate change effects have decreased in their timeline by as much as 15 years. What these effects are remains to be told, but also pretty cool if it's actually true. We made a fucking sun with our bare hands. I have no idea how this is possible, but us humans did it. Science, whether we like to admit it or not, is the most important field in our world today, and it's not even close. Those people in engineering, medicine, research, and all the fields encapsulating that are the reason why the rest of us can even afford to do the jobs we do. It's all because of them. It's a remarkable innovation, and we should all bow to the altar once in a while and thank whatever God we pray to that it exists. Number five, mathematics. See, I told you. First discovered in 3000 BC by the Babylonians and Egyptians, Math was first used in order to create taxation and transaction tables, and for some methods of building and construction. This is remarkably advanced thinking for people who lived that long ago. Maybe that's how the pyramids were built, I don't know. We all mostly hate math, but I would argue we all mostly love math. 
There's a reason it's so high on the list of almighty top 10 inventions in world history that Sam thinks are the almighty top 10 inventions in world history. It's higher than physics and science because those two fields are largely dependent on the field of mathematics to even make some degree of sense as to how to conduct those two fields of study. Math, in the general terminology, is the use of numbers to solve problems. Whether that's 2 plus 2 equals 4, the amount of your paycheck to put in your 401k to retire at 64, or the amount of time you can wait to put gas in your car before you run out like Kramer and Seinfeld, we do math for nearly every problem we have to solve. This is the same in our personal lives as well. How long can we wait before we have that argument with our wife? How much will it cost to put grandma through a fourth round of chemo? And is it worth it? How much time will be wasted in putting our son in classes for students with normal cognitive functionality when he clearly has a learning disability? These are very hard questions. In fact, I would argue that they're impossible to answer in some cases. But remember the two studies of our two brains. We automatically use our fast-feeling brain first and then justify those thoughts and emotions with our slow-thinking brain. Math is the slow-thinking brain at work. It is rational and reasonable thought, coming into our minds when we are nearly sent off the rails to how we should solve our problems. Now, we should not attempt to solve any problem with just math or just hard science. That would make us computers, not people, and we'll get to that in a second. But to not even take mathematics into the equation to define reality? That's just stupid. Try to do monetary policy without math and you're in for a world of hurt. Try to do your taxes without math and you are too. But you also are when you try to do anything that goes against the natural law of, well, anything. Because math is what makes up our world. It built the building that you're in right now, the computer you're reading this blog off of, or the phone that your headphones are in where you're listening to this podcast version of this off of. When you walk on the sidewalk, that was defined by the rules of math. When you do almost anything, it is defined by math. For a world defined by rules, math holds the absolute, and we should be careful to bow to it when we need to, which is all the time. Number four, numbers. But in order to have mathematics, you need to have things that make up mathematics, and those things would be numbers. There's a reason why we first learned to count when we're incredibly young and impressionable. It's because this shit is really intensely important. If you can't count to 10, you're going to have a hard time doing math. If you have a hard time doing math, you're going to have a hard time interacting in a world bound by numbers and other rules. In fact, it might be impossible for you to do this because most jobs in the professional world are bound by numbers. See the above examples of mathematics, science, vaccines, theoretical physics, printing presses, communications, electricity, and blockchain, for example. Numbers play a role in each of them. Don't get it twisted. The key to our number system, the system that is used to count, measure, and label, goes back to, ironically enough, the discovery of the number zero. Created by, the Indian, math, or by, or by Indian mathematicians in the 600s, the number zero gives us the starting point for everything that we base off that system. It is literally the genesis of all genesis points. From there, the mathematicians could actually do mathematics. They then began to do things like division, which then expanded and exploded into making much sense of the world in which we live. I don't think I'm going to bore you to death with all the great things that the inventions of numbers have done for us. If you've read this far in the article, you already know. So, like the pouch, respect it. Number three. The alphabet. If you feel like you're on Sesame Street right now, it's okay. It will all be over soon. The next one is much more dangerous and destructive and cool, I promise. When we learned our ABCs, we learned the basics of the other set of rules that govern our existence. 
While the number side of the equation unlocked a lot of things, including the basic scientific innovations that bankrolled seemingly our entire lifestyle, the alphabet allowed us to fill in the other side of the equation. It is one thing that to form rules that govern objectivity. It is a whole other thing in order to use them to bridge the gap between other people. While something similar to this is coming later, spoiler alert, the need to understand the building blocks is essential. Without a set of inputs, and a quality set of inputs at that, the output is going to mean nothing. The basis to which we form our rules and assumptions about the universe matter a great deal, and we should all do our best to know them and use them to their full effect. When we learned the alphabet, we learned that we were not alone. We learned that our thoughts could be articulated, and that we could be the ones that could do the other half of bringing the impossible into the, into the possible. This is going to bleed too much into later examples, so I'll let it go for now. But it's important that you learn your ABCs, folks. Number two, fire. Ah, yes, the destructive and dangerous and cool invention rears its ugly head, or awesome head, however you wish to look at it. Given all the heavyweights in this list, I'm just now realizing that I forgot about time, fuck me, this one might seem a little bit high. But as I journey throughout the course of this blog and podcast, I've began to discover something about myself. I'm almost a radical fundamentalist. A radical fundamentalist meaning that getting to the bottom of something means getting to the bottom of something. I'm going to contradict that in my top invention ever, but that's neither here nor there, and I believe I have a good reason to do so. It's hard to say that there's anything more fundamental to our existence and the continued prosperity of humankind than the discovery of fire. What started out as just a couple of sparks catching a flame onto some flammable object probably thousands of years ago, little did I know that no one invented fire, soon became the way we did everything. It became so essential to life that we did not want to relinquish it for anything. It started with keeping us warm. A lot of us lived in cold places back then with nothing to keep us heated. Fire solved that problem. We also realized that we could use it to cook food, therefore making things edible that were not edible before. Additionally, we could now treat water that was deemed to be infected by boiling it. We could learn to melt things together and gather around for spiritual sacrament and do multiple things with it that we, couldn't do, that we didn't think possible. We could not hope of controlling it, but only containing it. We didn't know the limits of its awesome power. Fast forward thousands of years, and we've begun to scratch the surface. Every bullet, every chamber that has ever, or every bullet that has ever been shot, shot has done so because of a miniature fire being set in the chamber that released energy that propelled it forward. Our world is overwhelmingly powered by burning stuff with fire. Everything we eat is cooked and can be adjusted by the amount of fire we throw things with, whether we burn them with the fire of an electric current or by a gas oven. Every single weapon of war that isn't a blunt or sharp object is powered by fire. All of our engines are as well, for the most part. The reason we were able to do anything is because of fire. If we tried to ban it, our world would cease to exist. We might even die, depending on how strong of a stomach you have. From bonding in our communities to making sure our communities don't starve to defending our communities against attackers, fire has played an instrumental role in all of them. But it is to the community that we turn next, which is where the greatest innovation of all lies. Number one. Communication. I wanted to cut my dialogue in the alphabet short because I knew because I know that it was going to lead to something more important. And even though language is a derivative of the alphabet, it is nonetheless more important. Remember, a gun is a tool, and if we do not use learn how to use and wield tools properly, then we are all lost causes. Language is the most important tool in the human arsenal. Without communication, we are lost, adrift, and siloed creatures. At large, it is estimated that humans or protohumans started out some form of verbal communication at anywhere between 60,000 to 100,000 years ago. That's a long time, 
longer than the alphabet or numbers, and certainly longer than any other invention on this list. But yet it remains the most important one, because without this one, none of the others would have been possible. Whether the person on any of the above lists is known or not, there is one thing that is certain about all of them. They had to talk with people. Whether that is with their wife or their best friend or a college professor or a work colleague or a neighbor, these people could not have had these ideas on their own. They most likely had to talk with one another in order to get shit done. And even if they were humans, how would they even know that any of these fields existed without having someone or something to first inform them about it? The great barrier to any understanding is reinforcing the belief that we can do this on our own. This is not only a wrong thought, but a dangerous one. Look at all the political discourse in the, of the past few, past few years for the best example I can name. Communication is necessarily sim necessary simply for the fact that we will forfeit our survival should we choose to not see, as, see it as such. In all of our cultures, our conflict has resulted from a lack of communication and lack of understanding of what the opposite party truly means by the words we have. Without that, none of the shit that we do matters. Nothing can grab us, or take hold of us, or force us to pursue any sort of meaning throughout the world. Maybe that's why the world today feels so fucking unhealthy and unstable. If the greatest innovation of all time, the art of communication, has been so distorted and fractured that we can't agree on anything anymore, who is to say that the whole world that's derived from it isn't broken? When people can't agree on things, and their communication between one another is flawed, we can't hope to create any meaningful exercises in how we interact with one another. That is a recipe for a doomed society, and one that I have no intention of living within. Maybe that's the reason why I created this blog and why I continue to create in my endeavors. If communication is the thing that bursts everything in our world, maybe we can start there in terms of making it better. If anything worthwhile involves collaboration and cross-referencing, maybe we should just start by opening up more to both one another and our ideas. Or maybe not. I'm just a guy who runs a low-traffic internet blog and podcast, after all. So, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Own the day. Open your mind. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?